everyone, this is Laminex Learning Bites and I'm your host, Ace Kagler. Whether you're out for a stroll, making your morning coffee or working away at your desk, we're always one click away. Tune in every other week to hear from our exciting lineup of guests. Hello, we've got a hot topic we're talking about on the show today, and it is burnout. Our guest is an expert on burnout, which I can't wait to speak with. So let's get right into it, shall we? Joining me on the show today is Susie McAlpine. Susie is a leadership development specialist or self-confessed leadership geek and executive coach. She runs leadership programs for CEOs, executive leadership teams and organizations throughout New Zealand and is the author of the best-selling book, Beyond Burnout, which reached the top 10 non-fiction book sales in Aotearoa, New Zealand. She's also the author of the award-winning blog, The Leader's Digest, which has been named in CMOE's top 10, sorry, top 100 socially shared leadership blogs, Serve to Lead's best 21st century leadership blogs, top 50 global leadership bloggers, and Hubworks Global top 25 leadership and management blogs. She has been featured in the Sunday Star Times, TV New Zealand Sunday Program, Radio New Zealand, the New Zealand Herald and Inc. magazine. Susie is also the creator of The Leader's Map, a blended leadership program for organisations wanting to equip their emerging leaders with the skills to succeed. She is based in Nelson, New Zealand. Welcome, Susie McAlpine. I'm so excited, nervous. Um, I've got a lot of feelings going on, but mostly honoured to be podcasting with you today. Welcome. Ace, it's so wonderful to be speaking with you. So I'm feeling pretty honoured and excited and looking forward to our conversation. Lovely. Um, if you don't mind, would you be able to give us a little bit of a, um, a little brief about who you are, who's Susie, um, and what do you do? Uh, yeah, sure. I am, uh, I'd probably say I'm a bit of a self-confessed leadership geek. Uh, I get about as excited about anything to do with leadership as some of my friends do with Game of Thrones. So uh, I geek out on uh, on leadership. Uh, my day job is uh, a leadership coach. So I work with chief executives and senior leadership teams mainly uh, to build high-performing leadership teams. But uh, I write a blog called The Leader's Digest, which has been relatively successful. Uh, And I do some one-on-one coaching. Uh, I developed a blended leadership program called The Leader's Map. Uh, And I wrote a book on burnout called Beyond Burnout. And I guess that's probably what we're going to be talking about today. I live in Nelson. Uh, with my husband I've got three kids and right now we're day two of lockdown so yeah this is the time and um uh, because we might uh roll this episode out sometime uh, in the next couple of weeks it might not be relevant at the time but this is a time when New Zealand's gone to snap lockdown 
um, because there's been a Delta case, unfortunately. Thank you for sharing that, Susie. Look, yes, we are here. Um, so uh, we really wanted to have you join as a guest on our podcast to talk about burnout because it's been increasingly top of mind, which is a great thing. Um, people are often talking about burnout these days um, because of the times we live in, I guess, um, and and because it's, you know, it's our centuries uh, problem, isn't it? it um but I've got your book your lovely beyond burnout book with me and as you can see I've got like a zillion um post-it notes and little um notes here so um a little bit about your book um as I started to read it at the start you do say there are lots of books on burnout out there but you really wanted to bring a leadership lens to it because a lot of the books out there focus on the individual um, that uh, is suffering from burnout how to prevent it and how to work with it but not so much on what leaders can do can you explain that a little bit more for us yeah, sure. Uh, so <clears throat> the reason why I wrote the book, I started writing the book about four years ago, and it was really uh, a perfect storm of three things. One, I had started to see an increase in uh, burnt out uh, senior executives and leaders, and that made me feel a bit curious about uh, high levels of stress and burnout. And so I started to research and investigate uh, burnout in a bit more depth. And what I noticed was that on the internet, it was awash with articles and, uh, you know, bits of information for the, the individual around burnout, what to do to prevent it, uh, what to do to recover from it, to stamp it out. And that kind of annoyed me a little bit at first, and I wasn't sure why. I was a bit curious about that. But the more I delved into uh, the research around burnout, the more I discovered that the research shows us that burnout, the causes of burnout, sit squarely in the ecosystems, in the culture, in the leadership practices of an organisation. And so treating uh, burnout as an individual problem is a bit like treating the sick fish when it's the water mm -hmm. that's contaminated. And that's problematic for a number of reasons, which we can go into. But I also, I guess the final thing that made me write the book was that in hindsight, looking back, I realised that I had experienced burnout myself, although myself and my boss at the time didn't realise that's what it was. Uh, and so with all of those, so it was a felt experience. I could talk about burnout from my own personal experience. And so those three things really um, pushed me to write uh, uh, write this book. And of course, this was pre-COVID. Uh, you know, we can't blame COVID for all of our burnout woes, but certainly it has exacerbated some of them. So that's really how I came to write the book. Yeah, and about your story. So um, anyone who hasn't read the book, you do explain your story in the book. But if you don't mind sharing your story about how you experienced burnout. Yeah, sure. So I was in my mid-30s uh, and from the outside, uh, it looked like I had it all. Uh, you know, my life was awash with professional pinnacles and shiny badges of success. Uh, I had just returned early from parental leave with my third child. She was uh, just shy of six months to lead uh, a division of uh, the world's largest uh, HR consulting and executive search firm through the GFC, the global financial crisis. And 
every morning I would jumble the kids into the back of the car, you know, uh, baby spittle uh, on my crisp navy suit, you know, munching down a piece of cold toast and I'd careen out the driveway and hurl the kids into their respective daycares and schools before, uh, you know, driving into Auckland CBD to you know, recruit some uh, senior executive for, uh, or have some meeting. And this Tuesday morning is burned into my memory as if it happened yesterday. As I pulled up in front of Nicholas's uh, school, he was seven at the time, this is my son. He turned to me from the back seat of the car and he said, mummy, voice trembling, can I please have a hug? Now, this was quite a big deal for Nicholas. He uh, was not a particularly affectionate child, physically affectionate. So for him to reach out and ask for some form of physical affection was quite a big deal. I remember at the time he had been struggling quite a bit at school. He'd been crying and getting really upset uh, when he didn't do get something right. And, and at the time, I remember thinking, God, that's just another thing on my to-do list and my long to-do list. And as he said these words, I turned to him and I looked out the window, my mind racing uh, about the presentation I had to give in 30 minutes time. And I answered him in a clipped, stressed, rushed out uh, tone, no, I don't have time. And I shoved him and his little backpack onto the pavement and I drove off. And to this day, the look in my son's eyes still haunts me. Needless to say, uh, a few moments later, I was on the side of the road uh, and the the numb sense, you know, fog that had surrounded me dissipated and I was in tears. I, I was thinking, what what is wrong with me that I am so distant and, uh, you know, that I don't even have the headspace or capacity to hug one of the most important people in my life? What I didn't realize at the time was that I was suffering from one of the three red flags or symptoms of burnout, which is a, a sort of a distancing or depersonalization. And uh, it's that incapacity to really connect. Um, you know, I, I had I had really, um, you know, distanced myself. Uh, there are two other red flags. But I think if my boss and I had known more about the signs of burnout, we, we may have been able to prevent my Nicholas no hug moment. Um, so that was that was really the beginning of my own journey of burnout. And luckily, I was I was very fortunate to have uh, a very caring uh, manager, and we were able to to try and work a way through. That's great. It might have not been that case, though, because um, there's not a lot of awareness around burnout still and what it is, is there? And you talk about this in, in your book about, you know, um, how there's stigma attached to it and people can sometimes, the, the individual can be blamed and they may be seen as the weak person, not having enough resilience. And, and we're going to talk about this, but thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I, I just really wanted to open it up with your story because I think it um, helps you paint a picture of, about what it is and especially around that depersonalization um, uh, symptoms of burnout. So thank you. Yeah, it, and, and the interesting thing was that it wasn't just showing up 
with my wee boy, uh, I, as a leader, I had always had an almost Pollyanna-ish sense of possibility. And uh, I had found myself withdrawing from, from interactions with my team. But also, I, I sort of had this increased cynicism, which is which is also goes along with the depersonalization. Um, I had become pretty cynical about uh, about everything that was happening. I think a couple of times I almost sent off or shot off a, a, a few career limiting emails to my boss's boss in the states, and and I and I remember thinking, who is this? You know, this is not like me. So um, yeah, I'm very happy to to share my story. Yeah, so your tolerance becomes low. I can I can relate to that. I know I have experienced burnout before, and um, uh, I guess people listening to us right now is going to be uh, be like, you know, okay, I, I know that feeling. Um, I guess the reason why we're having this conversation at Laminex Learning Bites is that we really want you to um, have an understanding of what burnout is and what it isn't, because there are myths that um, Susie unpacks really well in her book, and we're going to talk about that. And um, have an understanding so and an awareness of, you know, um, how you can um, get out of that burnout phase, um, how you can prevent it, um, how you can spot it in someone as a leader and what you can do to help them so I really want you to go away um, with these uh, takeaways so let's get right into it with you Susie um, why don't we start with what is burnout um, what does it feel like and how does it uh, how does it show in a person yeah so um it's important to to start off by saying that stress in and of itself is not the problem. Uh-huh. In fact, a certain amount of stress is actually really good for our performance uh, and our well-being. It's when stress becomes extreme, uh, chronic, and unrelenting. It's sort of unremitting. It's what I call baked into the job over a long period of time. So it's when stress becomes extreme and for a long period of time that you're more likely to get burnout. So, uh, you know, the World Health Organization defines burnout as a state of emotional, physical, and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress related to your professional life. And this is another thing. You can be really stressed out or have a high degree of stress to do with other parts of your life. For example, your relationships, your finances. Now that sucks, but that's not burnout. Mm -hmm. Uh, Burnout absolutely has to do with your professional realm or your workplace. And uh, there are three what I call red flags or symptoms of burnout, which uh, have been coined by two of the world experts on burnout, Christina Maslach and Michael Leiter. Uh, The first is chronic exhaustion. So we're talking about uh, you don't have your bounce back factor. Your batteries won't recharge. Uh, one of the myths is that if you have burnout, you just need to take a break. Well, one of the signs that you might have burnout is that you go on holiday, you take a break, and you come back just as exhausted. Uh-huh. So it's that chronic uh, extreme 
exhaustion. I, I draw in the book a, a, a picture of the, you know, it's when you, you, you plug your phone in and it just won't recharge. Um, so that's the first red flag. The second one is increased cynicism or depersonalization, which is what I talked about before. Uh, this is where things that didn't used to uh, frustrate you do. You have a loss of enjoyment. You kind of have this detached, what's the point to do with your work? Uh, and the third one, which can be really debilitating if you are passionate about the work that you do, is a reduced sense of professional efficacy. Mm -hmm. So this feels it's sort of helpless and hopeless. Nothing I'm doing is making a difference. And it's when you feel like you can't do the job that you once could do. Uh, and the, un the sad thing about that is that it can actually be self-fulfilling. We know that burnout can lead to uh, reduced productivity, uh, increased absenteeism and presenteeism, uh, low engagement. And it has some really um, uh, well-researched cognitive and emotional and physical symptoms as well. Uh, so burnout, really the key points here is that it's the extreme end of stress. Um, so you can have a really stressful week or even a period of time where there's high stress and then you take a break and you it goes back to normal. That's not burnout. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's really when it's in that long period and that extreme sense. Yeah, I, I relate to that. And what really stuck with me was when you said um, uh, in your book as well, when you go for a holiday that you don't feel rested. I think that's a really good differentiator for me. Um, uh, if you've experienced it, you would definitely know what that feels like. So, uh, and, and stress is a good thing, like you said. Um, it motivates us to, to be a high um, performer. Um, we get to uh, be more creative with a little, a good amount of stress. So um, I guess we can now talk about, I do want to really tackle the myths um you explain quite well. yeah uh, yeah we'd explain the causes of um burnout first yes I think that's a really uh, a really good way to tackle it because when you look at the causes you can start to see some of the myths and mental models emerge so there are six causes of burnout the first one is overwork, and that might be the first one that we most of us think about, you know, working uh, too longer hours or overwork. Um, that's one of them, but there are actually five others as well. Uh, the next one is insufficient reward. So this is, most people go straight to financial reward, but uh -huh. actually that's one just one small part. What we're really talking about, insufficient reward, is when we are putting a certain amount into the job or the work and we're not getting sufficiently rewarded. Now that can be intangible things. It can be, does my boss value me? Does my organisation value me? Um, so it's not just financial. So that's the second one is insufficient reward. Mm -hmm. The third cause of burnout is a sense of isolation. And that can be caused by anything from excessive politics, microaggressions due to race or gender, uh, you know, uh, bullying in the workplace. Uh, and of course, we can talk a little bit about the COVID environment. So it's a sense of isolation at work or even a lack of psychological safety in the team or the that you are working in. That can cause a sense of isolation. An absence of fairness is the fourth cause. And we're talking about uh, absence of fairness around things like pay, perks, prestige, 
promotion, even whether somebody's voice is heard uh, equitably. Uh, and, and I think, you know, as humans, we're finely attuned to uh, a sense of fairness. And so an absence of fairness in the workplace can actually be a contributor to burnout. Uh, the fifth one is a, is a lack of conflict, uh, sorry, a lack of control. So we like to have a sense of control over our, our work. And this is about not only the what, but the how of how you put how you actually carry out your work. So if you, if there's a lack of control around your work, that's going to um, be a cause. And the final one is a values conflict or a mismatch between an individual's personal values and that of the organisation. Uh, and so this is one where I often say to leaders, you know, when you are recruiting and you are bringing people into uh, an organisation, you really want to get curious and explore value sets and does that match with the person that's something over time that if there's a real disconnect between your own set of values and that of the organization uh, that's going to also be a cause of burnout now of course if you have all of those or some of those present you know cue burnout storm so i think um, it leads nicely into some of the myths so one of them as i've mentioned is that burnout is all about the individual instead of the organization and when you look at the causes of the of burnout you can see that they are baked into the ecosystem of the organization the culture of the organization and the leadership practices and leaders have potentially the biggest levers on those on whether those uh, causes are in play or not. The second uh, myth that I've come across, and this talks to the stigma that you've attached, um, unfortunately, burnout is, uh, you know, is, is like a lot of mental illness, it's shrouded in stigma. And people are too afraid to put their head up, uh, their hand up, to say that they are experiencing burnout. Um, and so, one of the myths is that uh, you are somehow mentally weak if you experience burnout. And the research unequivocally says that uh, that is not the case. When we, there are small amounts of, uh, you know, um, if you are a type A personality, if you have perfectionistic tendencies, then you may um, have a, a slight predisposition to burnout. Um, but when we look at the causes, they're most, most likely in, in the occupational realm. We have a landline and it only rings, rings about once every six weeks. And what's the what's the chances of that happening uh, when I'm doing a podcast? So apologies for that. <laughs> um, and and one of the the third the third uh, myths that I come across that are really common is that just take a break and your burnout will be solved. Now that's not to say that taking some time off or a break is not uh, is 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 not useful. It can be really useful for people who are experiencing burnout, but it's not enough on its own. You know, that sick fish analogy, if we plop the sick fish back into the contaminated water and nothing else has changed, then nothing else will change. I love that. So the, the three myths you said, um, uh, I know you do add a couple more around, you know, um, that it's often thought that um, disengaged employees or low performers um, are, uh, are the ones that are to blame for burnout, but you say that that's not necessarily true. 
Yeah, I was really interested in the research around this because what it actually says is that high performers uh, and those who are uh, who have been traditionally very passionate about their their role can be even more at risk for burnout. And when you look at our response to high performers in the workplace, uh, they're possibly more likely to get overloaded because if you think, well, if I want something done, who do I give it to? Not only the busiest person, but the person who I think is going to perform well. Uh, we often give high-profile projects to high performers. And the research shows that actually high performers uh, can be most at risk. Um, and there's even this dichotomy around being able to be passion and engaged in your profession and burnt out, which is a bit of a dichotomy. But if you look at things like caregiving uh, professions, which feature really highly yeah. in uh, burnout statistics, uh, teachers, the medical profession, uh, there was a surgeon who I interviewed for the book who absolutely was is so passionate about her work and yet she was experiencing extreme burnout. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. So you can be a highly engaged employee and a high performer and experience burnout. Yes. Okay. Um, the other one was, um, I'm not sure, I haven't quite read the part about personalities, but, um, and I'm not exactly sure if you mentioned that, so I might as well just ask now, um, certain types of personalities in terms of, you, you did say like perfectionists, um, type A personalities, but how about introverts and extroverts? Is there any research around that? Um, not much, although I would be very curious to find that out. Uh, certainly in the research that I found, um, it looked at, uh, that didn't feature. Okay. Uh, what was really interesting was around gender. So uh, they've been, the jury is still out about who experiences burnout more, men or women. Uh, there was a Montreal study which indicated that women have slightly higher levels of burnout than men, but then there was also a meta study uh, on on gender and burnout and that uh, indicated that it was pretty much the same what was really interesting in the research is that men tend to uh, demonstrate burnout uh, in cynicism so they have increased levels of cynicism <laughs> and depersonalization and women reported feelings of chronic exhaustion so there were some differences in how they experienced those red flags uh, but the jury is still out uh, on gender um, and I think there's more you know uh, it, it, there, there's possibility of more research uh, done in the space and yeah, yeah so Okay. Um, so uh, we are going to talk about how to prevent burnout in the first place, but let's see, we've, we've spotted burnout in, in someone. Well, let's start with the individual, so ourselves first. What can you do to address burnout? So if you are um, recognising some of those three red flags, and in the book I actually have a number of uh, questions to, uh, to ask, the first thing I would say is uh, go see your GP. It may be G it may be burnout, but it may be something else. And I would caution against relying on self-diagnosis. Uh -huh. So uh, I would say these red flags are certainly, uh, you know, if they're furiously flapping in your face, uh, it's most likely to be burnout. But I would say, you know, it's really important to go see your GP who can who can look at that and and and. Uh, 
and and see whether that is the case. The, there are a couple of things I think if you if you are experiencing burnout. The first is to practice self-compassion. Don't blame yourself. Uh, and hopefully in the book it out, outlines that it's not it's almost never your fault, right? Um, and don't, you know don't do what I do. Uh, I did, which was to soldier on and dig deeper. Uh, a lot of the people that I have uh, you know coached uh, leaders who have, who have experienced burnout out, carry on, they dig deeper. So uh, don't try and fight it on your own. If you do have a good trusting relationship with your direct manager, I think it's really worth exploring that. If you don't, then I would suggest, is there anybody else, a mentor, someone else in the organisation who you trust, uh, who may be higher up that you can share? Whatever you do, don't keep it to yourself. Um, The second thing I would do is look at identifying the why. So if you look at those six causes, which one of those levers are at play? So if you can start to look at the root cause and the root causes of your burnout, that's when you're going to be able to solve it. Um, Certainly make refueling uh, and, uh, you know, uh, put rest a priority. And the other thing is I, I would start to work with um, your direct manager on how to navigate a plan out uh, of burnout. Uh, and, and so those are probably, and I would say start with working in your circle of control. What I wouldn't suggest is if you are experiencing burnout, because of the cognitive and emotional and mental um, impact it has, it's probably not the best place to go, oh, I've got to chuck in my job. You don't have to necessarily leave your profession or your job if you are burnt out. And in fact, I think often when we're in that either high or low emotional state, it may not be the best time to make some really big decisions so uh, you know each person is going to have a different scenario but those are probably some of the tips that I would start with I go into it a lot more in in the book of course but those are some of the ones to start with yeah and and look um I I did forget to mention um and I really want to mention this um, about the book. You do have some great tools in there um, uh, for for leaders, especially for them to use as a guide, um, coaching questions. And, you know, um, you talk about meaningful check-ins, uh, one-on-one check-ins, um, which is a concept we've introduced at Laminex as well. So making sure that you have one-on-one um, really personal, uh, I- intimate uh, conversations with your manager on a regular basis to talk about your performance as well as you know uh, it's it's a it's a time where your leader can check in with you to say how are you going um and uh it, i think it, it you've got some great tools in there which align with what we're doing at laminex which is great highly recommend um everyone to read the book um but uh what have we got next so as a leader, then um, how do you, um, we did talk about the red flags um, as a leader, but how do you spot it as a, as a, um, uh, as a leader um, in someone? So I think um, what we can do in a minute is talk about what are the strategies, I call them the four strategies that we can take to prevent burnout, to address it and stamp it out in our organisations. And these can be applied at an organisational level, a leadership level and at an individual level. But let's say you're a leader and you suspect that perhaps somebody that you are leading may be suffering from burnout. 
The first thing I would say is hold your assumptions lightly, uh-huh. right? It may be that or it may be something else. So I think it's really important to just sit with a question and the sense of it. Like with most good leadership practices, it starts with a conversation. And when we talk about these conversations, I would say a conversation with compassion and curiosity. So uh, in the book, I go into a bit of detail and even not some scripts, but how to uh, start that conversation around, you may suspect, how are you going? You know, I'm wondering how you are, etc. cetera. Uh, lots of active listening, uh, lots of open, curious questions. It may be a series of conversations. It may be at first the person says, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, they're, they're too afraid to carry on. You know, I'd put their hand up. Um, so you may have a, a series of, of convers- conversations. Um Let's say they are putting their hand up and saying, actually, you know, I'm struggling in a certain way or I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed and exhausted. Then one of the things I would caution against is taking all the work off the person. Uh, As we know, one of the causes of uh, burnout is a lack of control. And so just a knee-jerk reaction of taking all the work off that person um, may actually even exacerbate that. So I would say in, in, in general, co-create a plan of what needs to happen um, because that will give that person a sense of, of control. It may be that stress leave or um, some form of leave may be able to uh, help, but it's not enough on itself. You really need to once again do what I said for the individual is to look at the causes, what might be at play that might be causing um, the burnout, and then work with that person um, where you have the organization's needs, your needs as a leader, and the other person's and that person's needs, you know, all equally as important and try and find that, that middle ground. Um, but it might be a good place to start. You know, that's kind of the, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff when we talk about um, someone experiencing burnout. And what I would like to see is a place where profits and people thrive. Yeah. A- and I don't think that that is Pollyanna-ish or rose-tinted at all. And so um, I came up with four strategies. I think I'd had a glass of wine or two one night and I, 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 I came up with recognise, destigmatize, and then I thought, well, I've got to come up with two others, the end and the eyes. So there are four strategies which I think are really important for organisations, leaders and individuals to apply. The first is recognising those signs. And we need to get better about recognising the symptoms and signs of burnout in ourselves and those we lead. Um, And I think leaders can do this by modelling well-being conversations and to speak openly and non-judgmentally about the signs. There's lots of different ways. The second strategy is destigmatize. Brene Brown says shame never drives positive behavior. And uh, it mostly begins and ends with leadership. So I think that it can be really powerful if a leader can speak openly about their um, their challenges uh, when it comes to mental well-being and to share that. Uh, when people like Craig Hudson, who's the chief executive of Zero, came out and, and spoke about depression, it wasn't about burnout, but he talked about his depression, it, it makes it easier for others. 
I think leaders can underestimate the shadow they cast. You know, when they whisper, it comes out like a shout. And so I, this is where I talk specifically to leaders is make it safe for people to have wellbeing conversations. Um, improve your listening and your coaching skills. That's always a good thing as a leader. Um, the third strategy is socialize. So this is about being purposeful about building social connection at work. You know, we have lots of what are we doing conversations in our workplaces, and that's great because that's how we get things done. But I think it's important to have how are we going conversations as well. And this can be as simple as when you're having a one-on-one -on -one with your, which you should be, uh, with your direct reports, you know, how are you going? And then really listening to the answer. Um, one team I know starts their their uh, team meetings with a quick check-in about on a scale of one to 10, how's your well-being today? You know, so there's lots of different strategies which we can uh, employ as leaders. You know, what are you finding most challenging? What are your highlights and your lowlights? These are just really simple tools about bringing mental wellness and wellness into the conversation. Um, I think also for leaders, your first priority is to build trust with your team. If you do not have trust, and I'm talking about vulnerability-based trust and psychological safety, you're in for a really bumpy ride. And, you know, I think that when we talk about vulnerability-based trust, this is Patrick Lencioni's um, Five Dysfunctions of the Team. Uh, so I'm borrowing from him here. You can tell high-trust teams because there are lots of conversations which go, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. I'm worried about this. You're better at this than me. I need your help. And that's leader-led. So you need to make it safe for people to have those sorts of conversations. So that's that sense of socialization. You know, we really need to socialize. The final strategy is organize. So this really talks about um, prioritization, delegation, um, looking at the degree to which people have a say in the way that their work is carrying out. Um, I think organizations have a way to go to get better at prioritizing. I was working with an executive leadership team the other day and they said, you know, here's our 20 priorities. And I said, well, that makes an oxymoron of the word, you know, and if you're, if you've got 20 priorities at a senior leadership team, you can expect what the flow on effect will be. Oh, yes. um, and it can even be things like getting really clear about um, you know, uh, uh, when giving it the task instructions, a lot of this seems like common sense, uh, and I've got some practical strategies. But I think those are those four strategies. If we if we really apply them, can can reduce burnout. One of the ways um, we try to do this as a team is um, the impact effort matrix. So we kind of map out all the projects we have and which one's going to create the more the the most impact and uh, least effort we try to look at that and work our way down um, but this is this is great thank you so much for that uh, Susie I did want to ask you around um, spotting the signs of burnout so just going back to that again but in a virtual world for a leader uh, what do you think that might look like because now um, at Laminex um, I'm not sure if you told you but if I told you but we now work in a work from anywhere model where mm -hmm. we shut down our Doncaster uh, support office we don't have an office anymore um, as of last year 
I think it was March last year, um, we moved to this model where anyone who can work from home um, is working from home at the moment. Of, of course, we have our sites, so um, where we have our operations and supply chain um, workers on sites. Uh, but it's very important for our leaders, I think, to be able to have these um, virtual leading strategies and to be mm. able to spot burnout virtually. How do they do that? Yeah, really good question. Um, there, I say, I think. Well, first of all, I want to say that you know I really feel for leaders uh, because leading can be really challenging at times. <laughs> you know, it can be a really tough job. It can be a really rewarding job, but it can be tough. And then if you add in um, the fact that you're leading virtually, it can really exacerbate it. There's some really interesting statistics coming up about the extra cognitive load around Zoom meetings. Uh, you know, and, and so. Zoom fatigue is real, right? Um, so most of the strategies apply uh, that I talk about, but there's a couple of things that I think I would I would advise leaders to do if you're leading virtually. One is to be even more purposeful about the social connection piece and uh, spend time uh, using active listening, being fully present with someone, uh, curiosity and compassion with all of those things around and coaching conversations to start to have more how, how are you going conversations. You know, and the other thing is it doesn't have to be on Zoom. I, I have a, a leader who I coach and she often will just pick up the phone and just say, how are you going? It's a five-minute check-in. It's a 10-minute check-in. Um, and not about the work, just how are you, you know, and really listening to the answer, right? So I think uh, I think that is one thing that you can you can do. I think the other thing is that one size doesn't fit all. So I would say get really curious about the direct members of your of your team because each of them will have different needs we're not all the same okay and as much as possible within the confine the organizational confines is do what you can so that you're adapting your leadership style for the needs of other people some people really need lots of social connection other people is just can you just let me get on with it email me and I you know and give me some space um, so I think that's just a, generally a, a good leadership practice is understand what motivates each of your direct reports um, so so all of the strategies but in particular you have to be a bit more cognizant and purposeful about the social connection and as I said pick up the phone have more how are you going conversations build in mental well-being uh, conversations and check-ins with your team uh, just and just be a good leader <laughs> you know don't be a dick <laughs> uh, you know I know that's a bit glib but you know when you leadership practices are under the spotlight in terms of science and research around the impact on burnout. And one of the compelling things is that a trusting good relationship with your direct manager can be a huge 
buffer to burnout. And so just increasing your leadership practice and your capability um, in itself and the basics like giving and receiving feedback, uh, having coaching conversations, active listening, uh, prioritization and delegation. If you can improve your skills on those things, you're going to actually have a significant impact on whether your people experience burnout. Yeah. And and let's humanize it, right? Let's humanize the workplace. We're all human. Understand what our needs are. Mm. Um, I really want to talk about uh, what happens if you don't address burnout. And and I think that's going to lead you to, to give some statistics around the cost of burnout to the individual and um, to the organization and your team as a leader. Um, mm. There's a work workplace wellbeing survey um, uh, that you might draw from because you mentioned that in your book. Yeah, so this was really interesting when I looked into the research. And for those, you know, there are there is some some people have a mental model that, oh, you know, all this talk about mental wellbeing and burnout, that's all touchy-feely, that's nice, but actually I really want to stick to the bottom line. Um, and the research unequivocally shows that burnout is having a huge impact uh, on on organisations and on societies. Uh, you know, it's it's costing. Uh, I think uh, I quote a lot of research, but 190 billion US dollars globally on health healthcare spending. Uh, it has been shown. Uh, by a number of studies to cause decreased engagement, lower productivity, absenteeism, presenteeism, and it has a pretty significant on the bottom line. So I would hope that people are addressing burnout at the most strategic levels and mental well-being, uh, not only because it's the right thing to do for your people, but if not, do it for the bottom line. <laughs> Um, and and some of the uh, research we we use the Kogo Workplace Wellbeing Survey um, was was one that I quote extensively in the book, um, and and it's more prevalent than you think. That is the thing. They found that thirty percent of the people that they uh, interviewed, which was over fifteen hundred people, uh, felt isolated every day or a few times a week. Thirty two percent were experiencing depersonalization, and fifty. 50% showed increased cynicism. So you can, you can, and there are many other studies that are coming out uh, as well, um, which back this up. Uh, Jared Ha, Dr. Jared Ha from uh, Auckland University, I think it's AUT, he's doing some really interesting research uh, across New Zealand and Australia, as does Black Dog Institute. So all of them are saying is, uh, you know, all of the research is saying that not only is burnout not good for the individual and their whānau and their families, uh, it's not good for the organisation either. Yeah, there's some really um, pressing statistics there. Um, look, I think we're, we're close to wrapping up now. Is there anything else um, that you really wanted to cover before we end it? Um, I think, you know, if sometimes people, when I when I talk about the burnout, everyone gets a little bit depressed, but I, I feel really hopeful. I think it's really wonderful that not only burnout, but mental wellness in the workplace is taking its rightful place and that I am seeing more and more of the chief executives and senior leadership teams and boards that I'm working with really 
starting to get serious about it. Um, you know, burnout's not going to be fixed by a fruit bowl in the lunchroom and you can have all the yoga classes. So I think we, that's the icing on the cake, but that's not going to, to solve it. So I think we need to really look under the hood uh, a little bit. But I'm really encouraged that there are so many more conversations uh, about burnout. And, and I, I'm hopeful. I, I absolutely, when I wrote the book, I, I really wanted to help step organisations and leaders to the place where we can have people as well as profits thriving. And I see that. I see, you know, I see that's possible. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And, you know, shameless plug, go buy the book, Beyond Burnout. <laughs> I think it's great, but I'm kind of uh, a little bit um, biased. <laughs> I mean, it's done so much. It's done so much better than I ever thought it would. You know, it reached the top 10 nonfiction book sales in New Zealand. And I think I'm still recovering from that. It's obviously struck a call, but uh, you know, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's a brilliant book. And do you know what? Um, personally, I found it really easy to read. Um, I, I could just hear you speak as I'm, as I'm reading it. It's, it's a very um, easy to read, easy to digest book. And you've got some practical tips in there. And the way you You've, you've broken it down. I think we kind of followed that structure in this podcast as well, mm. you know, um, what burnout is and you start with the causes and how to prevent it. Um, so it's a really, you know, you can even break it down. You don't have to read it front to back, um, but highly recommend to read this. And John, uh, Sir John Kerwin um, has, uh, has even uh, endorsed the book. Um, and you've got a podcast with him as well, which I've listened to, which is great. Mm, he's a he's a top bloke, JK. <laughs> really top bloke. All right. Well, um, Susie, I am going to let you go, but before that, um, I I think we've covered uh, quite a lot of content today. What what do you think the key takeaway um, would be? I think if I had to have one soapbox key takeaway is that burnout is something that. Uh, is an organisational problem, not an individual problem. Uh, that sick fish analogy, if we can all start to address it at an organisational and leadership level, uh, particularly if you're a leader, uh, as well as as well as uh, as individuals, I think we've got a really good chance of um, stop, spotting it, stopping it and stamping it out. Um, so hey, thank you so much. I've just so enjoyed um our conversation I'm feeling very honored oh, so thank so you have I. so have I um uh do you have a call to action for your listeners apart from we'll read the book yeah I would say my question is how uh is to is to really take a moment and a pause to connect with your work colleagues you know that may be uh, inviting somebody to join you. It may be active listening. It may be saying, how are you? And being there and present to answer. Um, and, and so I think that social connection piece is really, really important. So, and we can all do that, right? We can all just um, spend a bit of time on purposeful social connection, um, as well as, you know, what are we doing? The task focused stuff. Absolutely. And um, what are you curious about right now, Susie? 
Mm. Other than what's going to um, <laughs> happen in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand over the next few weeks with COVID, that's pretty top of mind. If it comes to burnout, one thing I'm really curious about is actually minority, this might be a bit geeky when it comes to burnout, but I'm really curious about the research around minority groups and burnout. I suspect um, that minority groups may be hit even harder. There wasn't much research, uh, particularly around Māori and Pacifica, um, you know, people when I first started, but I, I, I would be really curious to see what we can do and find out about minority groups and um, and burnout. That's, that's my geek bit for the moment. That's yeah. what I'm curious about. That's an interesting one. So the Cogo Workplace Wellbeing Survey was um, done in uh, New Australia and New Zealand, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yep. Um, and once again, I think there are some 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 research that's come out since the pub, the book has been published, which starts to look into uh, minority groups a little bit more. So mm -hmm. I'm curious to see what will come out from that. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I'd like to find out more as well. Okay, well, thank you so much again, Susie. It was so lovely to speak to you. Uh, you're such a you're such a humble, such a easygoing person. Um, you made me feel really comfortable. Um, <laughs> uh, Same, ditto. <laughs> really appreciate your company today. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. You have an awesome day. It's been just wonderful looking at your um, happy, shiny face. You've made my day. So great start to it. Thank you so much.